welcome to the second in our theme, Spiritual Foundations. And, you know, I've been thinking about that concept of foundations. And uh, I remember a family in my church in Sydney and, um, you know, they, they had this gorgeous house. It was kind of on three levels, went down to a valley and uh, beautifully architecturally designed. Uh, in fact, it, it was just two doors down from Brian Houston, you know, the international director of Hillsong. So you can imagine all the houses on that street are very, very nice. Um, but... Uh, they started to have serious problems with uh, cracks and so forth appearing inside and outside. And the issue was the foundations were not properly prepared. The builders had obviously underestimated the slope or the potential slide of, of the hill where the house was built. And um, can I suggest, friends, you know, um, you and I as Christians... We're, we're wanting to build solid foundations into our lives, and we're talking about that in this series. But you know what? If we don't put those solid foundations in place, you know, down the track we have issues. It was going to cost this family a lot of money to correct it, and uh, they couldn't go back to the original builder. It was just going to be money out of their pocket to get it fixed. It was a cost. And friends, if we don't have proper foundations in our life spiritually, there is a cost. You know, you might say, we suffer the consequences. So it's really important to get these foundations right in our lives. And the one I want to talk about today is prayer, the spiritual foundation of prayer. And I thought today what I'd do is I'd base it on the most famous prayer in the Bible. Uh, we generally refer to it as the Lord's Prayer, found in Luke and found also in Matthew. We're going to focus on the Matthew version. It's only five verses. Let me read it to you. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Powerful words. A wonderful, short prayer and, and short enough for people to memorize. Now, I want to unpack it today. Um, Dividing it, it's got five verses. I'm going to divide it into five parts, five different topics we can learn from. The first portion, this then is how you should pray, verse 9, our Father in heaven. Let me start there, our Father in heaven. I'll focus on that phrase for a while. But first of all, let me read a little comment here from R.T. France. Uh, he was the vice principal and senior lecturer of New Testament studies at London Bible College. And he says that you dig into the culture of the time and you realize that Jesus has actually created a prayer here very similar to the prayers that were prayed in the synagogues at the time. Uh, and they were rhetorical prayers. You know, they would pray them as a congregation or it might be the priest would lead one line and then the congregation would respond in another line in the prayer, you know. And so very interesting that Jesus actually modeled it to an extent on those prayers. That tells us something, and this is exactly what France is saying to us. He makes the statement as a theologian that he believes that Jesus must have therefore intended us to use it as a memorized prayer, you know, as a congregation or as an individual. And I know that, that kind of flies against perhaps what some Pentecostals and Baptists and Church of Christ people think because we don't use it that way very often, whereas Anglicans will be saying, well, of course that's how you're supposed to use it. You know? <laughs> but the reality is I think that was part of what Jesus had in mind. He did want people to memorize it and use it in that way. But I want to add 
I think he had far more in mind than just that. And what I'm going to suggest today is I believe what Jesus was saying when he used that phrase, this then is how you should pray, it wasn't just to memorise it and use it as a prayer, but it was to teach us a few principles about prayer. Rather than just praying for my needs and that's all I do, it gives us a balanced understanding of prayer because there are several different things that are highlighted in this prayer. The opening phrase is interesting in itself where Jesus says, our Father in heaven, because this would have been really in stark contrast to how the religious leaders of Jesus prayed in, in that time. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't even want to use God's personal name, Yahweh or Yahweh as some people pronounce it. Rather, they would use a, a term like Adonai, something that wasn't so intimate. And so then when Jesus starts teaching about prayer and uses the term Father, this would have probably for some of the Pharisees would have been a little bit outrageous, you know, possibly blasphemous, you know. They really would not have found that a comfortable thing. But, you know, friends, it's interesting in the, um, the original Greek uh, translation, we, we have um, something in the vicinity of about twenty-six to 27,000 ancient Greek portions of the, uh, the New Testament um, and the, the word that's used there for father in this prayer is pater, which is a Greek for just a normal Greek word for father, and that's how it's translated. And so I think Jesus' intention is this. First point, talk to God like you would a loving father. Number one, talk to God like you would a loving father. Now, I do say loving father. I know some people have grown up in families where they're their father was very distant or removed, the absent father. Or it could be your father was just not nice. He was a, not a good man, you know. And I, I know some people, and so it's difficult uh, to kind of relate as much if you've had that sort of upbringing. But I think most of us have in our heads what a loving father should look like. And some of us have had dads like that, which is great. But this is how we're to pray to the Lord. I think this is the model. Talk to God like you would a loving father. Now, the Apostle Paul certainly had that concept. Look at this, Galatians 4, 6. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. That same emphasis, Paul is reminding us that if we have become a Christian, God's spirit comes into our lives, and by his spirit, we have this desire to say, Abba, Father. Now, what, what did he mean when he used deliberately used the term Abba there? Well, Abba is the Aramaic term for father. And because that was the main language the people of the Middle East, the Jewish people would have used at the time, the common tongue, more educated, may have been fluent in Hebrew, but a lot of them wouldn't have been. Um, and so it's very likely Jesus taught the crowds how to pray in Aramaic, which means he would have used the word Abba. And this is probably why Paul is emphasizing it. But this is fascinating because the meaning of Abba, it's, it's the same word that the little Jew, Jewish children would call their dads. Abba, seriously. And so it's a very intimate term. Um, now, older people would use it sometimes too. And so it's not, like it doesn't, it, it's not that it doesn't have a measure of respect, but certainly there is a deep intimacy about the term. And you know what? In our language in English, we don't really have exactly the right word, but the closest we have, theologians would generally agree, is daddy. Daddy. That's how intimate the prayer was. Daddy in heaven. That's how Jesus was encouraging people to pray. You know, um, I remember in um, my first church where uh, I was a member, where I got saved and started to attend, the pastor there was um, 
Mr. Kim Valentine or Reverend Kim Valentine. And um, Kim, uh, had certainly, he, he was big on this concept of, you know, we need to understand God as wanting intimacy with this, this whole concept of God is our daddy in heaven. And he was quite a fan of uh, Dion. Now, a lot of you probably can't remember the guy, but um, uh, way back in the late 50s and 60s, there's a pop star called Dion. <laughs> and uh, he had a whole bunch of hits called like Run Around Sue, The Wanderer, Dream Lover, Ruby Baby. Um, he was very big at that time. Well, Kim liked him and then he got, Kim got saved. This is a pastor. And Dion also got saved around the same time. And so in the 80s, Dion was release, releasing Christian albums. I think the first one, 1983, was I Put Away My Idols. And Kim, being a fan of him, he, he gave, as a new believer, he said, oh, have, a, have a listen to Dion. And so I listened to this album quite a bit. It's quite a good album, actually. And one of the songs in the album is titled Daddy. Daddy. And uh, the song starts, Dion singing, Daddy, will you tell me a story about your kingdom and your glory, about that time long ago, all those people you know so well? And the chorus part of it says, Daddy, I long to be held in your security. Daddy, I want to be by your side eternally, bound in your loving arms for all time. You've got the idea. So he, he refers to God time and time again in the song as Daddy. Now, I, um, uh, I remember a church camp. It was like a combined churches camp, so a whole bunch of churches. And Kim was the keynote speaker, and uh, others of us were involved. And I actually did a, did a few songs, amongst other things. And um, I, I did that number. And uh, having sung it, um, I had not from our congregation, because Kim had given them some pretty good theology, but from another congregation, I had a couple of blokes take issue with the fact I called God Daddy, and they did not think that was appropriate. Uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. But let me emphasize again how strongly Paul puts it. Romans 8.15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. If we're adopted, see, if you become a Christian, you are adopted into God's family. So you're his child, you're his daughter, you're his son. And what does it say here? Um, Adopted to sonship and by him you cry out, Abba, Father. There it is again, that emphasis. Because you've become a child of God, the most natural thing in the world should be even to call God what? Daddy, Abba. Now, I realise as I'm sharing this, some of you might be actually thinking to yourself, you know, uh, that you feel you could never call God Daddy. It just doesn't sit right. You know, I, you feel you, you just couldn't say that. Um, perhaps you, you just don't feel close enough to say that. Or it might be that you feel that you've let God down too many times. Let me perhaps um, illustrate this father-son um, or father-child relationship. Uh, I, I think often we learn a lot from little children and how they relate to their parents. Not so much as they get older, teenagers, and they become more independent. But when they're little, you know, they're often very dependent on mum and dad. And that's uh, Jesus uses that concept that we need to become like little children if we're going to accept the kingdom of God. I think Jesus wants us to understand, actually, that we need to have this concept in our mind that we're a little child in God's kingdom and relate to God the Father to an extent like that. Well, let me, um, let me <laughs> illustrate this a little bit with um, my little chap, Zach, back when he was four years old, and just a very little boy, 
um, his older brother, Seth, who was only a little kid too at primary school, um, Seth had a reptile uh, hutch, for want of a better word. It was fish tank, a lot of garden lizards in there. Uh, the mother actually, there was a mother one who had a lot, bunch of little babies and he set it up really nice, stones and plants and a place where they could drink and all that sort of stuff. And he'd been told, little Zach had been told from Seth, don't touch my reptile hutch. You know, I can get them out for you, but I don't want you touching it. And actually, mum and dad, Pamela and I had said the same thing because we knew he's a bit too little to be messing around with the lizards and it was a fairly fragile sort of setup too. Anyway, despite being told that many times, one time little Zach had gone up into Seth's room. He had it on his desk, the uh, cage. And, um, well, Pamela and I were downstairs. Other kids were at school and we both heard this almighty smash. And what little Zach had done, he got up on Seth's chair and leaned over and pulled the, the whole thing over to himself to look in or grab a lizard or whatever he was thinking and he pulled it too far and the whole thing fell on the floor and shattered. We went, uh, Pamela and I went up and, you know, uh, fortunately none of the lizards were injured and I caught them all but um, I knew Seth would be very, very upset about this. So um, Seth got home from school, picked up from school and Zach had to go and tell him about it. In fact, he, he encouraged him, take, Zach, take Seth upstairs and show him what you've done. So he did. And uh, Seth was, he was really upset about it, actually. He, um, he started crying. He's only a little boy himself. And um, Zach was kind of, uh, kind of smirking, actually. Like, I think he thought, you, is, is Seth for real? Is he really crying? You know, and he kind of didn't look like he didn't get it. And I actually thought he doesn't seem very sorry. And I was, I was pretty annoyed with little Zach. I thought, that is really naughty what you've done there. And you don't even seem sorry about it. But those feelings of, uh, I guess, disappointment with him, within a couple of hours, they'd lifted. And Zach was just back to being, you know, in my relationship with him, that fantastic little boy, that, um, that little boy that is, uh, you know, we used to love drawing together. He loved his, loved his artwork back then, you know, colouring with him and, and uh, draw things with him, that sort of thing. We used to go fishing together. I remember first time, he was probably three or four, he caught his first fish and there's this fantastic photo of him wearing this army outfit actually and he's holding up this fish he'd caught and uh, moments where we used to go and play and do it like a, a little a swings crawl all the parks and stuff and play on the different equipment his size equipment when the older kids weren't around and uh, used to love looking at wildlife books insects and all that and talking about that and enjoying each other's company he would call me daddy and I love that little boy he's four years old and even though he did something I was pretty disappointed with, within a couple of hours, all those feelings of love were still there. Can I suggest to you God is exactly the same? Yes, you may have done things that have let him down at times, some of the things that you're not proud of, but God is like a father and he's welcoming you back. He's, he's welcoming you back with forgiveness. He wants you as if a father was there to put, put his arms around you, have you sit on his lap. He loves you. This is an important concept to understand if we're going to have a vibrant prayer life. Next portion of the prayer says this, second part of verse 9, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now immediately we're struck with a word we rarely use, hallowed. Now what does hallowed actually mean? Well, to quote from uh, R.T. France again from the Tyndale Commentaries, he says it means literally make holy or to treat as holy, meaning have reverence for. Um, as I'd put it, may your name, may you, Lord, be held in the highest esteem everywhere. 
And really what that reminds us immediately in the prayer is that there are two dimensions to our relationship with God. On the one hand, it's daddy and it's intimate. On the other hand, God is holy and he wants us to, you might say, embrace his holiness, um, reverence his holiness. Uh, and, and because of that, we do have these two sides. We have the intimate side, which God wants in our relationship, but we also have a real reverence for God. Both are important. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Just as God is holy, he wants us to be holy. And we do that, why? Out of reverence for God. We want to live out his word. Can I suggest this? Number two, like a father, God desires our respect. Like a father, God desires our respect. Now remember, included in that portion of the prayer was, your will be done. Your will be done. And can I suggest when we have a respect for God, we value his will, and that value will positively impact your prayer life. Well, let me prove it with this scripture. 1 John 5.14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. We should have confidence. That's the intimate side. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. But you can see there that God's will being done should be at the heart of our prayer life. That our desire is to see his purposes realized. It's not just about our stuff. It's about fitting in with God's purposes. Now, I know some of you might ask the question, yeah, but Lee, how do I know God's will? Well, I think what God's talking about there is his general will. You know, uh, his general priorities, his general principles for life. How do we find out those? Well, based in last week's message, you know, last the first one in the series, all about God's word. If you have a solid, I don't mean an extreme knowledge of God's word or an I just mean a solid knowledge of God's word. You basically understand the main principles in God's word. You know God's general will. Finally, let me suggest this. Um, here's a short prayer from Jesus which embraces both of these ideas. Intimacy, but also the willingness to respect his father. Look at this. Mark 14, 36. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. No, yet not what I will, but what you will. Yet what not I will, but what you will. So we see the prayer starts with the intimacy. Daddy, Abba Father, he's praying with that sense of intimacy. And he's being so honest there. He, he knows from the prophetic word and from the leading of the Holy Spirit that he is to go to the cross. There's going to be suffering leading to that. The cross itself, he's got to bear the sins of humanity. You know, so in his, the human side of his nature there, he is not wanting to do this. And in an honest prayer, intimacy with his father, daddy, he's calling him, yet at the same time, but even though, if there's any way, this cup, this journey, this next thing that has to happen in my life, if there's any other way around this, please take this cup from me. But he also knows if there is no other way, I've got to do what my father wants. The respect is there as well. The next portion of Scripture, Matthew 6.11, the shortest verse of, of the prayer, just a few words, 6.11, give us today our daily bread. That's all it is, give us today our daily bread. Uh, number three, like a father, God wants to provide your daily needs. Like a father, God wants to provide for your daily needs. You know, God 
longs to provide. It's his heart to provide. He wants to give us good gifts. Uh, any of us as parents, we know when our kids are little, especially, you buy them a little gift and often it, it means the world to them. You know, they love receiving good gifts and we as parents often feel really chuffed. Oh, they really like that. You know, we feel pleased. God's the same. He wants to give you good gifts and he wants you to be pleased. He wants you to be happy with those gifts. Um, let, let me emphasize it further uh, from Jesus' own words, Matthew 7, 7, such a famous verse. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks a door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, and I think what he's saying, there's a big crowd there and some of them are not very nice people, but even you evil guys know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? You've got the concept that if, you know, even some of the dudes there that's in the crowd as Jesus is preaching are not nice people, yet they still give good gifts to their children, many of them. And Jesus is saying, well, then how much more do you think your Father in heaven who is holy, who is good, uh, is, is going to want to give good things to you. He loves you. How much more will he want to give you good gifts? Never be someone who in your prayer life feels you can't ask God for good things. God wants to bless you. Matthew 6, 12, the next portion of the prayer says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now I'm going to be frank and say, this is where it gets challenging. It's all been pretty easy going. But now Jesus is saying in this prayer, you need to forgive people that have done wrong to you. You need to do that. They've done something wrong and it may be something really bad, something really hurtful, things they've said, lies, slander, physically done something really bad to you and yet he's saying you've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. And this, you know, this portion of the prayer is perhaps the hardest one for us to live out. But, you know, friends, there's a reason why God wants us to live like this. He knows the way he's made us, that emotionally we're not made to carry around hate, anger, unforgiveness. Rather, he needs our heart to be rid of those things. As hard as it is, he wants us to be set free of that. And I want to suggest this. Number four, like a father, God wants you to have healthy relationships. Like a father, God wants you to have healthy relationships. I think um, Jesus knew that we'd, we'd all find this one a real challenge. And uh, the people of his day, as he spoke, he knew that was the case then too. So it's the only portion of the prayer that after he has given us that example of prayer, he then re-emphasizes this one area. Look what he says. Matthew 6.14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. Boy, that's challenging, isn't it? That is challenging. And yet you can see that for Jesus, this is obviously something he views as very important in the way we live, not carrying around unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, resentment, envy, all those sort of negative emotions, but let it go, let it go and move on. And we must remember that um, the heart of the Lord's teaching is grace. And he, he gives us some wonderful principles about the reality of forgiveness. You think of um, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. 
says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What a fabulous verse. He's simply saying to us all there, please don't deny your sin. You're, being, you're just not being real if you do. Rather, confess it. Own up to it. You, you, you hold resentment and anger towards someone. Own up to it. Because the more you confess your sin, the more the Lord can step in by his spirit and bring healing. Own up to it. But then he promises something amazing. You confess your sins. Firstly, he says, I'm going to forgive you because you confessed. By the way, don't expect Jesus to forgive you your sins if you're not going to own up to them. Because that's, his, that's what he's saying here, is confess your sins, then he'll forgive you. But he doesn't only forgive. He says he'll purify us then from all unrighteousness. What a work. As we confess our sins, the Spirit of God brings purity from all unrighteousness. No other religion has this. Now, I remember an evangelist um, when I was a young guy called Christian Eichley, and uh, he was... Um, uh, did a series of evangelistic meetings. And I met with him one day for about an hour or so and we were chatting about things. And one of the things he said in regards to uh, keeping our relationship with God open and alive and free, he said, you know, we cloud it with things like unforgiveness. You know, if there's sin in our hearts, just as, you know, our blood, our bloodstream flowing freely around the body, arteries and everything, you know, it, it means we're more likely to be healthy. If we start to get clogged arteries and we have blockages in our bloodstreams, we have issues. He's saying it's like we need the blood of Christ, a free flow of the blood of Christ into our lives. And it's, it's kind of like this. If you have sin in your life, unconfessed sin, it's kind of like that vein. The blood of Christ coming from heaven is closing up and our relationship with God is not as free and not as vibrant. Confess your sins, it opens up. And the wonderful, powerful blood of Christ washes over us. Finally, Matthew 6.13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Isn't it phenomenal? It's only a short prayer. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm just making five principles out of this. And one of them, to me, it looks like Jesus is emphasizing what? Spiritual warfare. Lord, help me not to fall into temptation. You know, uh, deliver me from the evil one. Uh, can I suggest this? Number five, like a father, God wants to protect you from evil. Number five, like a father, God wants to protect you from evil. You know, and there are some great scriptures immediately that come to my mind about this. You think of um, James 4, 7 and 8. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Some great teaching in that. Firstly, it says to us, look, if you submit to God, you're going to have the power to resist the devil. Simple as that. You're living a life where you're submitting to God, you will have the power to resist the evil one. It's not going to be an issue. It, it says to us as well, you come near to God, he promises to come near to you. You know, um, wonderful phrase there. You're resisting, he'll flee from you. So have that confidence. We're walking with God. We're submitting ourselves to God. We have that confidence. Speak out God's word, demanding that any demonic influence you are sensing must leave. Think of uh, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. It says, be alert and a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You know, it's telling us there, be alert. 
I know that you, you talk with some Christians and they, I don't know, they just really um, don't really think much about the demonic realm at all. It's just like it's not an issue for them. But what did that scripture just tell us? The devil prowls around like a roaring lion. Uh, the, you know, um, Jesus is speak, uh, Peter there, sorry, is writing to a Middle Eastern crowd. You know, he's writing to the Roman Empire, of course, as a whole as well. And in some parts of the Roman Empire, there were certainly lions. And often what the, a rogue male lion would do he'd, in the, in the, at dusk, he'd come out and he'd be roaring in the background. You'd hear the roars and people would freak out and be scared. But what he'd be doing is he'd be roaming around and he'd be looking for the weak, the vulnerable. Might be a child, might be an elderly person who couldn't get away very quickly. And he would attack them, drag them away and devour them. So Peter's using a very, very strong imagery there. But friends, it's a reminder to us, don't think the devil is not prowling around looking for people to devour. We need to be alert, be aware of that. And the wonderful thing is we're told what? Resist him. We can resist him. Stand firm in our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not like it's not a battle. We, we're not going to win. Let me finish with a story here just to illustrate how real this is. Now, for me, uh, I didn't grow up in a church-going family. Uh, didn't do Sunday school as a kid. Parents never encouraged that, not that I was interested anyway. And really, for me, it wasn't until I was a young adult, about 21. And I started to search. I had that big question. It's often mentioned in Alpha, is there more to life than this? My way of putting it was, you know, is there more to the bricks and mortar and technology and music of my world? Is there something I'm missing? Is there more to this? And I can still remember late one night after a gig, coming out uh, probably three o'clock in the morning and just looking up into the universe, the stars. And, I, and I, I had this thought in my mind, this burden, I might even say. And I, I wanted to know, is God real? And I said this, God, I don't know if you're real or not, but if you are real, reveal yourself to me. Help me know that you're real. And having done that a couple of times, God started to answer. And I found myself, strangely, uh, flicking on the radio one night, and there was this show. This is on a music station for the most part, and I, I listen to it regularly. But at 10.30 at night, they had this show called Insight for Living. I used to hit the sack fairly early in the week because I started at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, at work, that is. And um, I listened to this guy. And I thought, actually, what he said made a lot of sense. And he kept quoting from a book, the book called The Bible. And I thought, I think I've got a Bible somewhere. I've got one in year seven, this little red Gideon's Bible. I remember getting it. I think I've still got it. So um, I was living in an apartment in the city, and I remember scrounging around a couple of boxes, and I found it. found this little red Bible, and I started to read it. A lot of it didn't make much sense to me. It was in uh, New King James English, so it was fairly hard to understand. But I started reading it, listening to this preacher, reading the Bible, and then I started to pray. And around this time, as I started to make that a practice in my life, um, all these things started to go wrong. Now, I remember having just really severely bad dreams, uh, very dark dreams, nightmares, really. And uh, I can remember at work, things were going wrong. I remember I had a car accident. It just seemed life was becoming a bit of a mess. And I thought, what is this all about? Anyway, I remember one day, I think it was a Saturday, and I'd recorded quite a few of Charles Wendell's messages. And so I listened to uh, several that day. And I was reading the Bible more than I ever would. I was trying to pray more than I ever would. So it was a big chunk of time. And I thought, you know, hopefully this, you know, will free me up from some of these things that seem to be going wrong. Well, that night, quite the opposite. I had the worst nightmare I'd had. 
and the tail end of it, it's about three in the morning, um, I had a, a, a dressing table kind of just away from my bed. And in the dream, I dreamt that there were three statues on this dressing table. And the third one started to come to life. And I barely had a concept of Satan, but that was the, that was the, the word, the kind of the idea, the image in my mind was Satan. He was coming to life. I woke up with a start and the atmosphere of the bedroom was just extraordinary. It was so thick, so dark, so scary. It, you know, like he could cut the atmosphere with a knife. It was so strong. Now, I, I didn't scare easy. And uh, I tell you what, somehow the atmosphere was terrifying. And I tell you what, I was so confused. Absolutely, completely confused. I'm thinking, God... God, why is this happening? I don't understand. You know, I spent all that extra time in the Bible and listening to the preacher and praying and stuff, and it's never been worse. What is going on? What is going on? That's what's going, you know, I'm kind of praying in my mind, I guess, at, at that point. And then I felt God speak to me. First time I felt God speak to me in my life. And it was, I remember the precise words because it was so striking and it wasn't audible, but it was like a loud voice in my mind saying this. The reason this is happening to you is because there's someone that does not want you to get to know me. Precisely those words. The reason this is happening to you is because there is someone who does not want you to get to know me. And I will say at that point, it was like a, a light shone into my mind. And I, for the first time, I understood there, well, I wouldn't use this term, but I realised spiritual warfare was going on. There was this battle between good and evil. And uh, that didn't change anything. That atmosphere of fear was still absolutely potent in the room. And I didn't know what to do about it. I had insight now, but I still didn't know what to do. And clearly, now I'd look back now, and I saw where there was a demonic spirit in the room. A particularly nasty one, one, one might say. Spirit of fear. But... Um, I remembered one old hymn. I knew no Christian songs at all. I remembered one old hymn, Amazing Grace. I only knew a couple of verses and I started to sing it. And I sang it louder and louder and louder and eventually that demonic presence left or I would have called it then that sense of fear, that scary atmosphere that dissipated. Well, friends, I share that simply to say this. This thing of the evil one moving around like a lion trying to devour the vulnerable. In my case, someone who was coming very close to a life-changing, life-saving faith in Jesus, he was there trying to stop that happening. Let me just share with you some positive words here. 1 John 2.13, second part of the verse. He says this, John. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Friends, that's the encouragement. We're walking with God. We will overcome the evil one. Well, friends, we've, we've covered a lot today. Let me just recap on what we've looked at, the principles we've learnt from the Lord's Prayer. Let me go through this. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. First point, talk to God like you would a loving Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Two, like a Father, God desires our respect. 
Give us today our daily bread. Three, like a father, God wants, you to, God wants to provide for your daily needs. Like a father, God wants to provide for your daily needs. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Like a father, God wants you to have healthy relationships. Part four. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Five, like a father, God wants to protect you from evil. So we're closing prayer. Daddy in heaven, here today as we've been reminded of some powerful principles contained within this short prayer, we ask indeed that you would help us to be intimate with you, that we could call you daddy and really mean it, that you're our father, loving father in heaven who wants to be close, who wants us to embrace us and to place us upon your knee. Help us to understand that about your nature, that you love your children and help us journey with these other principles we've learned. Lord, we know we, we want to respect you, Father. We know that you're the one who wants to provide for our daily needs. Lord, help us to overcome the tendency not to forgive. And finally, Lord, we know you stand with us and help us battle against the evil one. So, Father, as we embrace those principles, help us, Lord, to be the people you've called us to be in this powerful foundation we want built in our life of prayer. May it be alive and strong and vibrant, helping us to be the robust Christians you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, amen.